2: was our 10-year wedding anniversary this week.
0: We went to karaoke, just the two of us.
2: Do you know who I feel sorry for? Who? The people who work at the karaoke. Yes! To the extent that this this time you booked a booth for four, and then when we got there you said, oh, our friends couldn't join us. Was that just out of embarrassment? Yes! I would like to see long-term studies into (laughs) what working in a karaoke bar... (laughs) Dusty of you Of other human beings
0: I think it would actually Make you feel happy About people It's an ancient Human tradition That we like to gather Do you know why I was thinking about Ancient human tradition so the
2: way You just said it. Ancient human tradition Do you know why I just
0: said Ancient human tradition Like
2: you did a TED talk It's
0: because It is part of An ancient human tradition We want to gather And harmonize <laughs> The power of song The
2: ancient human tradition the
0: ancient human Oh my god It's like all too familiar <laughs> When I was I think this is thematically appropriate cuz we're talking about our wedding when Jeff and I were like writing our wedding vows I'd written something and I'd, I wrote the phrase with the all too familiar tradition or something like that and Jeff looked at it and he was like how are you feeling about the phrase all too familiar and I went oh it's that's quite bad isn't it and he went oh yeah
2: the all-too-familiar Oh. sacraments of marriage.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, how are you with me? What <laughs> a dum-dum. You deserve better.
2: But we'll stay together because of the podcast.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, podcasts don't last that long, even when they do.
2: Now, let me tell you about the guest we have for you this week. She's Serious. Serious. She is the writer of a major new Amazon Prime drama. It's called Wilderness. It stars Jenna Coleman and Oliver Jackson-Cohen.
0: I believe it's number one in the UK currently, at least at the time of recording, on Amazon.
2: And we've seen posters for this on on bus stops At one of our
0: local bus stops, which is even more dazzling.
2: So they're giving it the big push. And she is Marnie Dickens. She's got quite the CV. She wrote Gold Digger for BBC One. She wrote 13 with Jodie Comer. And now she's gone global with this wilderness. Um, it's, it's about a British couple who moved to New York. That's the opposite of what you did.
0: Yeah, I mean...
2: It's like, it was like a one-in, one-out. Yes. You yeah. came out, which meant that two fictional characters could go in. <laughs> Sorry, there's no logic at all to that. Um, but but they, they moved to New York because of his job. And and I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but then she she discovers that the marriage isn't perhaps quite what it seems, and then we're off and running. It's very twisty-turny. And responsible for those twists and turns is Marnie Dickens, who we're going to be talking to later.
0: My quick watch this week, many people told me to go for it, so I finally went for it, and I watched all of season one of Fisk. What it is about, the lead character, Helen Tudor Fisk, And I'm smiling as I think about her. She is recently divorced and she's lost her job. So she's returned to Melbourne and her father, Judge Fisk, is like a very famous lawyer. And she winds up accepting a job at a will and probate firm. So it's the daughter of this very successful man doing a similar job at this lower end firm
2: so a nepo baby in reduced circumstances
0: yes she is so funny
2: something i've noticed with you that most of the things you find viscerally funny which you definitely did with a show with a couple of episodes i watched <laughs> with you it's it's because you're seeing yourself on screen in some way
0: okay so fisk has a little issue which i connected to which is she has an interaction with a small business owner in her neighborhood It doesn't go great for her. I think she gets boycotted from that business. Whereas what has happened for me is I've had to boycott myself from certain local businesses.
2: I think I know the two most notable ones. I have two. I've been boycotted from two local businesses. You you have had altercations, which mean that you you can never interact with those businesses again.
0: One of them I know. I don't know what the other one is.
2: Our local window cleaner.
0: Oh, shit. He's, he's shitty I don't like him I haven't I even said this to you I am getting very close <laughs> I'm not joking I'm getting very close To washing our windows On my own I'm not kidding I think going I Going up do ladders it. I'm going to go up ladders And I know you're thinking This is going to end poorly And it, it probably is In but death
2: I'm thinking it's going to Possible paralysis Or, here's or what happened. even death
0: How would you describe Those windows in our
2: kitchen a, a side return So the sloping windows
0: And so Then this fucking guy Who charged me He's like Well I'm going to have to Charge you a lot Because they're on a slant He did it And left a shit ton of streaks. And then I photographed it. And he said he'd come and fix it. And he never did. And he's always in a strange hat. (laughs) I just think that, like, if I see a man and he's always in a little hat with a big old brim... You've got problems, and I just think he's bullshit. He charged me a lot. He didn't get the job done.
2: I I sometimes wonder about your expectations with window cleaners because I I think they fall into two categories. There's a category of person who washes windows for whom it seems about adrenaline, and they're the ones who have lots of ropes and they're going down skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. And then your local window cleaner, I think, tends to fall into the same category as your local dog walker. I was going
0: to say local dog walker.
2: You just get a sense something happened and and then as they were putting themselves back together again they thought what would seem like a nice life but perhaps (laughs) not not too mentally taxing
0: the point is i don't think he's delivering a good product and i think he should be punished
2: we spent quite a lot of time on the window cleaner so we should probably just um mention in passing that you also had a standoff with the local dry cleaner (laughs) <laughs> and and now you will not cross the threshold of that store.
0: I had a an issue. I had a little, my temper went a little cuckoo.
2: However, since our son was tiny, they've always been incredibly nice and friendly with him. I love and, him. And, and given him a free lollipop. So we'll be walking <laughs> past that and he'll want to go in to get a free lolly.
0: I will send him in on his own to get a free lolly. I'll be like, <laughs> you can go ask her. I'm just going to wait outside.
2: <laughs> and, all the, and all of that little detour was Because Fisk is working in a new office and gets into an altercation with the local coffee shop.
0: In my opinion, she's a warrior for justice. She just wants people to behave.
2: All right, so this week I made a choice to watch something without you that I I knew that you would never watch with me.
0: Do you sort of enjoy doing that or does it just make you sad?
2: Well, I'm very codependent, aren't I? Beyond. But I'm trying to get better. That's wonderful. And it's a documentary called Looking for Kez. Kez, I know as a film, but the documentary is about the the book from which the film was adapted called A Kestrel for a Knave by Barry Hines, came out in the late 60s, set in the North about a working class boy who the teachers have written off, who forms a friendship with a kestrel. He then becomes passionate about falconry. His teachers think he should go working down pit. They, th- they think he should be working in the mine. Mm-hmm, but he mm-hmm. doesn't want to work in the mine. No. And his friendship with the Kestrel gives him a, a sense of the of possibility and the world being bigger. Nice. And it's an author documentary by comedian Greg Davies.
0: You've interviewed him and you, like to, you want him to hold
2: you. Well, I, I have this thing with very big men. Yeah. That... <laughs> I just want to, like, nuzzle in their chest. It's not at all sexual, but I want to be protected by them. Has
0: any of this made you think that you would get a lot out of a weighted blanket? (laughs) Do Jeff and I both just need weighted blankets?
2: Imagine if we got weighted blankets and it changed everything it for us. Solved
0: everything for us. Yes. Our own individual weighted blankets. So you're. See, I'd
2: like to share one because of my codependence. And I would like to knock some my stuff. So, so Greg Davis, I've interviewed on a number of occasions, and he was consistently one of the funniest people I ever talked to. And that plays out in this documentary. So it's very much in his voice. He's not just been paired up with subject matter. You really get a sense this is a, a program he wanted to make. Mm. And he used to be an English teacher. Right. And this was a book that he used to specifically use to engage kids who weren't engaging in reading. Oh. And part of what they get into is how the education system treated kids. So I I think it was a common thing when I was at school for there to be teachers who seemed to be in the profession because they disliked kids and wanted to make their lives a misery.
0: I had this one gym teacher. Mrs. Van Dresser, and she seemed to hate children.
2: I think particularly PE teachers seem to have that to them. Do you
0: know that I got myself out of PE all through high school?
2: How, How did you recuse yourself?
0: So, like, I started taking dance classes
2: after school. And then what was your argument? I can't do too much exercise.
0: It was like if you could prove that you were physically active outside school, they wouldn't make you do it at school as well. And what would you do? Oh, I would, I would slump. Um, <laughs> I would get a little... you very
2: pointedly make sure you didn't do anything that was in any way physically beneficial.
0: Absolutely.
2: That sounds like my dream.
0: Yeah, it was okay.
2: One thing they get into is, is when you teach this book in school, kids really like it because the swearing in it.
0: There was a girl who went to my school and I remember she was like, there's a song that uses all the dirty words. And do you want to hear the song? Yes. <laughs> so bad. Shit. God damn, oh my God, I feel so embarrassed. I want to okay. hear it. Okay. Shit, god damn it. Get off your ass and jam it. Your mother sucks a teeny fuck. Get off your ass and shit, bitch! Isn't that the most violent thing you've ever heard? That was quite
2: the outburst.
0: Isn't that terrible?
2: That song seems so extreme compared to Hitler has only cut one ball, the other's in the elbow. I know.
0: It's so fucking filthy.
2: Yeah.
0: Who's going to love this?
2: I think it's for people who love Kez, either the film like I do or the book. But I think it is really accessible to anyone who loves Greg Davis and everyone loves Greg Davis. There must be some people who really wish failure upon him. Let's not encourage them, though. We would love to hear from you. Maybe best and worst examples of marrying a famous host with documentary subject matter. Oh... Have you ever seen that really work and thought, oh, this is a side of this person you don't get to see? Or conversely, if you thought why on earth have they paired this, this person, person up with this topic?
0: Or any kind of show where you're like, Why the fuck is that celeb on this show?
2: Yes. Also, I guess, what what do you save to watch for when your partner is out?
0: I would like to hear from other people who, like you, ultimately can't enjoy a solo watch.
2: Yes, I I want TV to be a shared experience.
0: You have no, the idea of like, oh, this is my night. I can do whatever I want. You do not identify with that at all. I'd like to know other people like that out there. Mm. And what were
2: your childhood issues that led you to this place? (laughs) But also, it's the more common occurrence than not for me, because you're out nearly every evening. Maybe I'll quit my job. I became a window cleaner.
0: What do I want to do? Maybe a librarian. You're very loud. I am not just of mouth, but of foot. (laughs) What do you guys think of this lady? She's got a good go-getter attitude. Yes, but she stomps. (laughs) Have you
2: noticed? I I do think you'd enjoy shushing people, though.
0: I want the right to tell someone to shut the fuck up. (laughs) We went out for like cakes to celebrate the day before school starting. So we went to this nice place and um, there was another family there with a child and they were just on a FaceTime call the whole time. So I start to, I'm looking around. I'm not sat here so that you can scream in the dining room of this nice little place with cakes.
2: But let's be clear here, you didn't get into it with them. There was no conflict. You went and grasped them up to the manager.
0: I just want to say in this podcast, I am seeming like... I'm fucking going crazy at every business. Like, that I'm doing it all the time. These things happen once in a blue moon. And then then we're gathering them all together in a little basket to make Sarah seem like a crazy fucking Karen, frankly. But what is also true... Is that if I consider the span of time across which all these incidents have occurred, they're not quite as wide. (laughs) It's not quite as wide as I would like it to be.
2: Oi, Vey. And keep feeding us your recommendations, please.
0: Yes, listen, email us. I know when I was plugging the Patreon really hard, I was like, guys, I don't even fucking care if you email us, just fucking join that fucking Patreon. I still feel that way. But you have to tell us what we're going to watch. You've got to stay involved. I get so much joy when I go to that inbox. It's like a beautiful little flower that opens for me. Or it's just another fucking place I go to feel fucking rejected. Ask me for the email address.
2: What's the email address?
0: Fuck off! At com. Um, I want to do a Patreon plug, Jeff. Do you mind? Of course not. Do you think the listeners are excited by it? Don't answer this question. Like, don't write in to tell me the answer to this question. But when we plug the Patreon, how does it make you feel? Are you just pressing, like, the little, like, fast forward 15 second thing? Or is it still nice to hear me talk? Does it make you go, oh, fuck it. All right, yeah, I'll join your Patreon. Or is it just, like, words, words, words. I don't care. Here's what I'll tell you. My mother has now done a few more of her birthday messages. Listen, and this is only for the 10 pound joiners. Okay. So that's probably not going to be you, but maybe it is. And again, just join for the three pounds, join for the five pounds. I'll voice note you every Friday. Fridays with Fire Crutch. It's such a fun gang. Join in. Here's what I will say about my mother, who is giving birthday notes to all of our 10 pound a monthers. Now, my mother's problem, let's just start it off that way. She's incredibly funny. But when the pressure is on her to be funny, She cracks. So I'm telling her, go neutral, go natural, don't push.
2: So you're coaching.
0: I'm coaching her. But I think there's a straightness of bat she's been using with her birthday notes that are really serving her. So if you want to see a mother-daughter collab 10 pounds a month or £5 pounds and get our voice notes or £3 pounds just because you love us and you can listen to these extended interviews, which I think have a very different flavour. Do you ever feel that that our podcast is a little too quick, a little too edited? Baby, settle into the extended £3 a month.
2: Patreon.com forward slash they like to watch. And our guest on this episode coming up later talking about the new Amazon Prime show Wilderness starring Jenna Coleman and Oliver Jackson-Cohen. It's writer Marnie Dickens. <laughs> This week the two of us watched Apple TV Plus's new four-part documentary series The Supermodels.
0: Yes, and I I thought we were both so excited to watch it and I don't know why.
2: I was going to say exactly the same
0: thing. I love my celeb culture stuff. You don't particularly, but neither of us are particularly interested in the fashion world past a point. So what is it about something to do with like the late 80s and early 90s? I
2: think so. It's when you get to an age when part of your life becomes modern history. Yes. And you get to see it framed in that way. And, and also with this, what they're not doing really, there's a little bit of it, but, but not really, they're not showing you the dark underbelly.
0: Correct. So the four models, the four supermodels, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, and Christy Turlington. So they're telling a good story and they're telling it very well. But because all of those women are, I think, also executive producers, it doesn't feel like a truly unfiltered get into it documentary. But it is so. So fun and satisfying to watch. Like, they're so beautiful that it it feels like chilling.
2: I wonder if part of it is just that it's aesthetically pleasing. I almost feel that the filmmakers have had it in their head. Let's recreate the look and the feel of the type of iconic Uh, photos that these women featured in in the mm -hmm, late 80s mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. early 90s, as well as showing them. So it's just pleasing to look at.
0: I love watching these models get photographed. Like I love watching the photographer fuss around them and fix the hair and then someone comes up and does the eyes. And I love um, the footage of the catwalk. I've always thought it was like ridiculous talking about the idea of like a good walk or the idea that there's anything challenging to it.
2: And then you thought about your own walk.
0: My natural walk is bizarre, <laughs> but I can do a very good strut.
2: What do you think of all the hours of interviews they must have conducted with these four supermodels? Mm-hmm. And this fact that they are all executive producers on the show. So presumably There's some kind of pressure on the filmmakers for them all to come across reasonably well. Which they all did. Put them in order of easiest to hardest job for the editors.
0: Okay. I think it seems like no question the easiest is Christy Turlington.
2: She seems wonderful.
0: Yeah. Naomi Campbell, who I've always heard was like a crazy person. I don't think she's like, seems incredibly normal or very human or anything, but I just like, she just came across very likably. And then Linda seems to be having a harder time. I feel like if the supermodels is the Friends reunion, Linda is the Matthew Perry. Yes. Now, I think she seems much better than Matthew Perry. Also, what's interesting is she just has a very, very kind of infantile way of talking. I'm sorry, did you think that was a good impression? Yes. That was like really good.
2: And then what emerges is she's struggled with illness. She's had surgery to change her appearance, which has gone wrong yeah. and dented her confidence. If you were any kind of cosmetic practitioner, surgeon, whatever, and a supermodel comes in,
0: wouldn't you just be extra careful? This can't be a fuck up.
2: It's like operating on David Beckham's foot or right?
0: <laughs> Yeah, I identified some beefs, which I would like to
2: vocalise. Oh, please do, yeah.
0: Okay. My feeling is that Naomi, Linda and Christy don't love Cindy quite as much as they love each other.
2: Well, well, it says in the documentary that they were the Trinity. That was their nickname.
0: They were this little gang of three. And then there was Cindy. I think the way I saw it was those three went, fashion is my world and this is what I do. And Cindy went, I'm going to f- fucking be famous.
2: Do you remember if your brother had the copy of Playboy that Cindy Crawford modelled for?
0: (sighs) My brother was allowed Playboys. We have no idea why.
2: So would it just be a pile of Playboy magazines next to your brother's bed then?
0: Uh, Close, but not quite. It was on a radiator in his room.
2: On a radiator to dry them out? Oh,
0: so like a radiator cover, I guess. Okay. Okay. And he wasn't like 18. I think he would be more like 11 or something. And we both had little doors in our rooms that led to like, it must've been some kind of piping, but I would keep all my secret things inside my little door. What
2: was in your stash?
0: So my stash <laughs> were a lot of Barbies. And it was very funny to me because Linda eventually started talked about her Barbies and that they, she'd be like, and there were a lot of weddings. And I was like, my Barbies were doing a lot of fucking. Linda. <laughs> and they started fucking at nine, which I was a late in life, you know, uh, virginity loser. But but my Barbies were going early. Well, when they were nine years old? And that nine was when they would, like, start laying together. <laughs> <laughs> That's very biblical. Because I would lay them down on a doll's bed mm. and they'd, like, collide. And very long stories would happen. And then they would go to brunch and then they would lay again. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my parents were never allowed in, but my brother would be allowed in. So sometimes he would just want to come sit in my bedroom and I'd be like, oh, I'm i mean my barbies are going to be laying together but Uh, but my brother in his secret trove kept like the penthouse shit
2: something i was thinking about a lot watching this was would there have been a point in history where these four women would have been considered anything other than very attractive
0: no I, i think it's impossible
2: Well, I don't know. So if I think about paintings from a certain era, so say pre-Raphaelites, those faces are very beautiful in the way modern faces are. But then if you go further back in history and look at the wives of Henry VIII, now presumably King Henry VIII, who didn't seem great (laughs) and a certain type of physical beauty would have been high on his list. Were those the most beautiful women around at the time? You, and is it the gene pool has widened and that's improved? Over yes, last?
0: I think that like back in the day, like people were more related. And so the faces were a little fucked.
2: It's something we've talked about is that a lot of people will say, oh, my grandmother was such a beauty when she was younger. And then you see the photograph, you think no, she, she was younger. She looks Yeah, like that's, young it, that's an look.
0: average looking lady. She's not ugly, but she's not a beauty. You're just thinking about the 97 year old woman that you know, And you're like, whoa, look at how she was when she was 25, but she's average. However, you showed me the other day a photograph of your paternal grandfather, which I had never seen before, and he was objectively Hollywood a oh, hollywood
2: face. It was quite strange, you had quite a visceral reaction to it. Like a dog on heat. It almost felt like you wanted to start masturbating.
0: I think I felt enraged that looks that good are that close and yet that far for you personally. <laughs> oh my god, if you join the Patreon, you fucking join the Patreon,
2: we'll show you this photo. And actually, you you see the families of these four supermodels. Oh and,
0: no, no, no. And aside
2: from Naomi Campbell, you you can't quite see the through line.
0: No one is unattractive at all.
2: No, but... But
0: there's all these pictures of Cindy Crawford with her family. And her sisters are better looking than I am, but much more my neck of the woods than Cindy's neck of the woods. And I bet these ladies are going, well, but I have my family. It's like no one cares about a family. Nothing in the world could be as fucking good as looking like Cindy Crawford. <laughs> and, um. So here's, here's my final thing on this, if people mm-hmm. should watch it. You know how sometimes like a sports thing will come out and people will be like, you don't have to be into the sport to be into this. It's yes. not really about baseball. I think if you are not at all into the idea of 90s fashion models... I I can't see it being for you. I I think we can
2: go even more specific. If George Michael's Freedom 90 video wasn't a thing for you, this documentary series won't be either.
0: But what if you just came of age in a time where that video was such a thing? Will that person enjoy this docuseries?
2: I think so, if you're willing to overlook what the documentary overlooks.
0: Yes, they're staying fun for you.
2: Have you watched The Supermodels?
0: And it did... I feel stupid saying this, but I did think, like, models don't look like that anymore. I feel that, like, those '90s supermodels and these four women in particular were just
2: at a different level. Is that an age thing, though? Is it familiarity? Do, do people who are around in the 60s think, oh, models don't look like Twiggy, though, do they?
0: Um, I would like to hear from a young person. Are you 27 or younger?
2: You're not trying to get Firecrutch Youth going, are you?
0: Oh, my gosh. Listen, if I can get, let me think of a realistic number here, 50. Mm-hmm. If I can be alerted to 50 listeners who we have who are under the age of 27, who will join our Patreon for three pounds a month, I will start a WhatsApp group that is that is a fire crotch youth movement organization. <laughs>
2: And, and what role do you see yourself occupying? Yes,
0: yes, is, yes. Is, is it, is I'm it, so ready to answer this.
2: Is it the wise elder, when I am old, I shall wear purple? Or are you more like the Fonz and they're like Richie Cunningham and Ralph Malf and Potsy?
0: Take these two things together and combine them <laughs> like a very cool, benevolent Miss Hannigan.
2: So the Firecrotch Youth Movement are your orphans.
0: It's not that they are actually my orphans, but like my youth, the youth organization will gather around me and they'll be like, Sarah, and I'll be like, hey, and, and they can just give me little queries. I'm mostly in an advisory
2: role. Style, relationships, careers?
0: I think um, relationships. I'm very interested in how the young people intercourse with each other.
2: I mean, they've got the same apparatus, I think.
0: Yeah, but it's been trained and wired into their brains so differently. Oh my
2: God, this is what we can talk
0: about in the youth organization. <laughs> It's gonna be me talking to a bunch of like 27-year-old men about their like their um penises. Is
2: is there a minimum age if you're gonna be talking oh, to these course. people about the oh, genitalia? Gosh, of course. Okay.
0: You can't be under the age of, of eighteen, I guess, right? Eight between so you can only be in our youth organization.
2: Okay, <laughs> don't call it our youth organization. Sorry, can you I'm, can only I'm be, washing if, my hands of this. You can
0: only be in my youth organization if you're between the ages of eighteen and twenty-seven.
2: And for all correspondents under over 27, the email address is
0: Fuck off at firecrouchandnormcourt.com.
2: And coming up next, it's the writer of the number one show on Amazon Prime in the UK. The show is Wilderness. It stars Jenna Coleman. We're talking to Money Dickens next.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: While we were out last night, we were on the bus and I saw on a bus stop a poster for Wilderness. Have Have you seen those out in the wild yet?
3: I have. I've seen them and it's made like commuting a lot more fun than it normally is because there's old Jenna's face, Oliver's face whizzing past me and my son with Wilderness. How old is he? He's about to be five. So
2: it's not, not the demographic you're aiming for with Wilderness. I not the
3: demographic. It. My nephews were watching it the other day and my sister-in-law was too far from the television and couldn't read one of the texts. So said... What did that text just say? My 11-year-old nephew said, you know, I can't wait to have you inside me again. Or that was so great when you're inside me. But he read it completely deadpan. Great.
2: That's the therapy session waiting to happen in 15 (laughs) years' time, isn't it? What is your um, family's relationship like with your projects? Do do any members keep scrapbooks?
3: Um, They're very supportive. I think the Gold Digger was the spiciest for them because it's a family drama. And there was lots of jesting about who was who and which brother had been cut from the line-up and, you know, why all the dads are such shits. But I don't think any of them are, like, getting their scissors out to get my clippings into a folder. Perhaps they can correct me, but I don't think so.
2: What about you, though? Like, if you see one of those posters out in the wild, are you taking a selfie with it?
3: I don't take a selfie, but, I i mean, I would love to be... Cool, and be like, no, I'm just used to it. But I do, I have taken a photo of every bus. I don't think I'll ever have a show on a bus again. Um, so I'm, I'm drinking them in each bus.
2: Absolutely. Um, you you started on Hollyoaks. I did. Did you keep anything? You know, have you got any mementos from Chester from that period of your life?
3: Um, I didn't. I didn't steal anything. I didn't take, you know, Jambo's pen. I mean, I was way after Jambo, but that's the only character's name that comes to mind. I mean,
2: that 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 is for me. But I'm a bit older than you I've tried to explain Hollyoaks to Sarah on a number of occasions, but it's hard. It's because the British soap opera to to American is such an alien concept. But it was the lives of these teenagers in Chester. But s- certainly, when I was watching it, strange things would happen. Marnie mentioned a character called Jambo. I remember he he would drive around in a car that looked like a mouse. And there was some kind of plot where s- somebody hijacked a submarine and ca- captured people. It it got very strange. I think in the late night. I mean, the world got strange in the late nineties. But had that all passed by the time you joined it?
3: Yeah, we, it was quite. It was always quite heightened. I mean, I have got some duff stuff, like you know, someone's doing their driving test. But like they're they're tra- they're really useful training grounds. And some of our best actors have come from the soaps. Saran, old um. Sarah Lancashire. I don't mean old.
0: O L E. O L E. We've got our poll quote. Marnie Dickens (laughs) says, "Old Sarah Lancashire."
2: But for Jenna Coleman as well. She was in Emmerdale Farm, wasn't she?
0: She was.
3: Yeah. Very good. Link back. Very good. Yeah.
0: Marnie, how how did screenwriting first sort of occur to you as a career option? Were you were you one of these kids who's like writing in journals and diaries all the time?
3: I was writing, not journals and diaries. I wrote really bad songs on the guitar, like really bad, So I sort of know four chords. And then I sort of brought in rapping, which was always, you know, awkward as a sort of rural yeah. child. <laughs> um, but screenwriting, I didn't realise was a sort of viable profession. It, didn't, it literally didn't even occur to me, even when I got onto film sets. And then it was only when I was around so many scripts, I thought, oh, look, this is someone's job.
2: Just before we move on to that, can you or will you give us a song title?
3: Oh no! I mean, there were, there were there were some really turgid lyrics. Like, she walks, but she hangs her head. Oh, she tries, oh. she tries to smile, but she can't. Okay. Um, I think that's thirteen. It got a lot. It got, it, got, it got a lot better, guys. By nineteen, I was really churning out the rhyming couplets.
0: <laughs> In what capacity were you on a film set before you were there as a writer?
3: Uh, as a stand-in first for Jane Horrocks, and then I sort of ping-ponged after that as a runner and a third assistant director for many years, actually.
2: How, how does one get into being a stand-in? I'm not after a career change. I'm just, is it just like you're, you're roughly the same size and shape of Jane Horrocks?
3: Um, there was a director, who lived locally, and I said, I'd really love some experience. Um, and she said, well, no one really likes being a stand-in, because it's a really, it is a quite an odd job.
2: And can you describe it? Because I think if, if people have any um, awareness of it, I guess it's from the film Love Actually, the subplot with... Um, thank uh, thingy from Gavin and Stacey and Martin Freeman.
3: I guess the actors, are, they do the scene, they rehearse the scene, then they go and have makeup or sit down and have a coffee and you get brought in so that the camera and the lighting can all be adjusted so that the actors don't have to be bored. Essentially, it's just so the actors don't have to stand oh in God, the spot for worlds. a while.
0: So Wilderness was adapted from uh, a novel. Can you sort of talk a little bit about what that process is like in comparison to creating the story completely on your own? Is it is it easier? Is it more frustrating?
3: Uh, it's easier and harder. It's creating, you know, in 13's case, five episodes of story and then in do the six, it's a lot of creation. But the great thing is it's all your own creation. So, you know, you can take the narrative wherever you want. When you inherit something, you're inheriting somebody else's structure. I mean, Bev, the author of the book was extremely lovely and said, do with it what you guys need to do. Some authors obviously are a bit more protective of their work or um, defensive. I totally get that too.
0: How were you and Bev initially paired up together?
3: Uh, Through Liz Gilgaris, who was one of my fellow execs, and she sort of was the broker. She literally pulled the book from her very nice handbag and said, read it, and then took us out for dinner together. I got a sense of, like, what seemed important to her that I could then try and keep in the adaptation. I hope I've kept it in the adaptation for her.
2: How how are you on the um, pivot to business talk? As a a British person, I feel that most meetings slash lunches, you just make small talk and everybody is kind of wanting it to pivot to the reason you're there, but feels awkward about doing so. Whereas that drives you insane, Sarah, And uh, when you have meetings with British people, you you just want to get into the stuff as soon as possible.
3: So what would you do then, Sarah, confronted with Brits? I was very
0: polite for a while. I like to think I'm still polite, but I think to myself, I've been in this office for like an hour and now I think now that I understand it as the culture I feel a little bit more comfortable at minute 15 16 being like so sorry I'm gonna be so American about this but I was really interested to talk to you and sort of like just try and use my cultural difference as my sort of excuse
2: but you must have it the other way you must have those sort of quite crazy American meetings with some regularity
3: well, not, not since the strike, but yes. Yeah, because they're just like, sorry to say so, but it's like, you know, they, you haven't even opened your Zoom lid and they're just going, right, okay, let's go. And I go, croaky. No, no soft soaping here. Um, <laughs>
2: How are you at taking a compliment?
3: Terrible. I don't But I also don't, like, as it turns out, I don't like criticisms. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a bit of a dead zone for everybody.
0: If you find out that someone is watching your show on their phone, for example, would would any part of you? Are you like sort of happy for the additional viewer, or are you like asshole? We worked very hard to make this very beautiful. Get yourself onto a TV screen.
3: Yeah, I'm torn because obviously I don't want to alienate a single viewer, but now I'm yeah, I'm upset because it's like even when we were in the edit, they're going, you've got to remember people are going to be watching on this, this, and this, and they are just showing me this range of like increasingly worse devices.
2: I was watching the show thinking oh, I really want to at some stage in my life do that road trip of big sky America and get out into that Grand Canyon. And and then when I was reading up ahead of interviewing you, I, I found out that most of it was filmed in Vancouver. I feel cheated.
3: Don't feel too cheated.
2: No, I think I want to go on a road trip to Va- Vancouver.
3: No, don't feel too cheated. All the interior stuff in the apartment, that's all the build in Vancouver. But anything that so, for example, Yosemite in episode two, that is not Yosemite. But everywhere else, Grand Canyon, that is the Grand Canyon. And basically, anywhere that you can't cheat, we didn't want to cheat because we didn't want you to feel cheated, Jeff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it.
3: What it. Also, like,
0: what an amazing amount of... Tra- I mean, it, maybe it wasn't. I was going to say, what an amazing amount of travel to have gotten to do. Were you sort of there on all
3: the shoots? There was a lot of places to go to, and I've got a young family, and I thought, I can't, I can't do it all. So I did the... In theory, sort of more grunt worky bit in Vancouver. So I did five weeks in Vancouver.
2: I always think if um, Sarah got to work away, and you do in Edinburgh, I mean that's as far as it goes for us. I love the
3: loved, glitz and glam.
2: I, <laughs> I love decamping as a family. Is is that what you guys did? Or
3: no, you're just stitching your other half up. You're going here. Is it come to a hotel room in Vancouver and get like increasingly cross at me while I'm you know out of the house for eighteen hours, or stay in London where you've got a network and nursery and all that stuff. And actually, I also think on a shoot, something happens to your personality, like it becomes everything. So it's quite good not to have, to split yourself as you do in your normal life, like with your domestic burdens, burdens, joys. <laughs> joys. joys, guys. Joys. Joys.
2: One thing that's difficult with this show to talk about is it's so twisty that to discuss it risks revealing plots. But if, I'm going to attempt something. So, So I think it's... About the suppressed rage of women, and and then where that goes when a woman's been betrayed, and and an interesting thing is, as a viewer, you end up at least initially rooting for the the lead character, Jenna Coleman's character, live to commit murder. Now, if if I had a friend who was in the same situation, I'm not sure that I would be rooting for them to to, to kill the person who had wronged them, like. What is the key as a writer to getting us, the viewer, to, to feeling like that so quickly?
3: That's a very good question. I, I mean, I don't want to just instantly pass the buck, but it's performance from Jenna and the way that so shot it with our DOP. So it's like very experiential. And then you're slowly understanding this didn't just happen to, a, you know, a random woman, like the way that she's been shaped by her mother and the things that have happened in the, her past mean that this is like the only option available to her in her mind. It's a big, it's a heightened, it's obviously a heightened idea, um, and then there's the fun of it, isn't it? I think the location—you just do, and get them to the edge of that cliff, and people were just like, "Be push him off."
2: Yes, yeah. go it's, for it. It's, it's absolutely that sense, and and it, and that performance. I mean, I'm I'm constantly amazed by the the different ways in which actors work. What was your process like of, of working with her? What did you learn about the way she works as an actor?
3: She's like. The real deal, I think, you know, she reminds me a lot of Jodie Comer, who I also had the pleasure of working with. Like, very like they're hard workers. They come prepared for every single scene, but they can be having a chat at the coffee table before going into quite an emotionally intense scene. Sometimes if the scene requires her to be, you know, devastated, she might go off and listen to, like, some of the music that we've got in the show to get herself in the right headspace. But also her and Oliver had this like, insanely amazing chemistry on and off screen
2: I sometimes wonder about how often it is that we, the viewer, think people have incredible chemistry on screen and, and then it turns out, you know, they don't at all or, or the complete opposite. How often do those things add up in your experience?
3: I've been really lucky. So we, that is literal, like you cast the two people you want and then, you know, they meet on the, on the day of the retool or something, which is just oh. like it can go very badly wrong. So you can imagine.
0: I thought with castings, like before anything was officially decided, like leads would be like, like a, isn't a chemistry test? I feel like that's a phrase
3: I've heard. Are those oh, gone now? No, 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 they're not gone, but they're like Marvel movies. Like they're certain... Oh, um, really? It's it's not, yes. I'm trying to think of the, uh, the diplomatic way to say it. When you're going for actors of a certain caliber, it tends to be that you get them both and and then you go... I think it's Cross are gonna get on. And they actually had Oliver and Jenna. I mean, they get on it might be annoying to just keep saying it, but they get on like insanely well. They've got a kind of sibling doshy thing that they do. Um and he's he's very charming and funny. And what that what he does with the character in the series is is far more nuanced than I think some actors would have done.
0: We um we don't support people who are very handsome and talented <laughs> and charismatic off screen. It's just too annoying. So he sounds awful. Um, we were saying that one of the um the most traumatic events. In the show for us was the scene where the two dinner tables had to get pushed together. There's,
2: yeah, there's the suggestion that shall we should we put our should tables together? Should we just bring and, our tables
0: we... together? Can you push tables together with another? Or would you be like, I'm gonna fake a family emergency and we're going to leave
3: and we will find somewhere else to eat? I mean, I, thanks to my partner, have learned to be more like, yeah, let's do that. But my end my, you know, I'm an inner will. I'm thinking Absolutely no way. But what about you guys?
2: Oh, I was thinking about like... Waking Behaviour that is nightmare. completely alien to me in this show. Like, <laughs> firstly, I think, like, why would anybody make a sex tape? And, and then I was thinking, <laughs> but, but why would anybody suggest that oh, we should push our tables together? Let's make it a table of four. And, and I think... To would... you,
0: almost the table of four is stranger than the sex tape. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the theme song on the show is a Taylor Swift song and you had to write to Taylor Swift to get permission to use the song. How does one go about writing to Taylor Swift in that way? Do you send like a handwritten card? Is it a dry email? What's the process?
3: <laughs> dry. A really dry and a really arid Real, email.
0: Yeah, that's the way to sell her.
3: It, it was a sort of pitch letter. So we had a sort of like Bible for the whole show with, you know, various like tonal references, like a really cool picture from Promising Young Woman where she's just smashed in all the headlights. Uh so I had a few of those images to, to carry me through the page count. And then I, I, I find them really difficult. Like I massively admire and respect her, but it's very un British to sort of really essentially gush. And you know, someone like um Taylor, anyone of that level doesn't need somebody they don't know from Peckham, like gushing in, in a letter to
2: them. And did you at any stage in the email use the phrase one songwriter to another (laughs) (laughs) the soundtrack is fantastic though it's something i've never asked i don't think a showrunner is the the titles like the the opening credits how how much is that dictated by you as a creator versus you give an agency or 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 whatever it is a, a brief and then they come back with something amazing
3: I am super square, so I did loads of research on titles that I loved and identified, like, why I loved them and why they worked very well. And wh- what was on um, that list? Uh, Feud, which is an amazing title sequence. White Lotus, obviously. Uh, I think Succession's great. And, oh, and also I also think the show that Jenna did, The Cry, had an amazing title sequence. It was really, really simple, and it all ties everything together. That's very satisfying, because I like mm-hmm. it to have meaning rather than just look super cool so i knew early on i wanted it to be animated and everyone agreed and amazon were very supportive of that Great. and then this amazing agency just like i i'm so happy with the times they just over delivered huge designs it's They're incredible phenomenal. they did an incredible job
0: do you have any tv shows that are your comfort
3: watch or the things that you can rewatch like over and over again i used to re-watch Buffing, huh. actually i've never ever watched the final episode of Buffy the Vampire slayer because i didn't ever want it to be over so i don't actually know how it ends I
0: don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before.
2: No, but I understand, I understand the impulse, but I don't have the discipline.
3: So disciplined of you. I, I used to take my watching of Buffy like really quite terrifying and seriously. And like, um, used to shut all the doors, be recording it. Um, but I haven't really watched it. I mean, I love, I, I love things like P-Valley and Unreal. I think P-Valley is one of the best, best shows. Have you guys seen it? No, no I'm, I'm writing it down. It's pretty explicit and graphic. Like at, at the beginning, you're going to go, this is a lot of pole dancing. Um, but it's like proper female gays strippers, which you never see.
0: P and it's how is, oh, Pole, like Pole Valley? No, is it's, P for Pole.
3: P for Pussy, I'm afraid. P
0: is for Pussy. Yeah. Pussy Valley. Sold. Well, our next question was going to be sort of what, what would you, what are you watching at the moment or what do you think we should be watching? So we can take P Valley as your answer, yeah, but is there anything uh, else that you're very invested in?
3: I'm very excited to, to watch Morning Show series three. But I also really liked platonic that no one was really, lots of people I haven't really talked about it with Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. Like it was a very, oh. but again, I think it's like the life stage that you're at. People I know who are single or don't have kids or like, this is just smug. And I was like, no, if you keep watching again, it's about Rose Byrne's character just this woman who's lost her whole identity and trying to get back in the workplace and how that looks. And it's funny. That's comforting. Uh, have you guys seen somebody somewhere? No. On HBO. No, but
0: that's with Bridget Everett, right? Yeah. That's. I mean,
3: that's a really, a really good one. Hacks. I loved.
0: Hacks. Um, I loved. Jeff. You had more mixed feelings about it.
2: I, th- I think it struggles a little bit when it tries to go anywhere a bit more emotionally genuine.
3: Interesting.
0: We get to be like these like big men who sit on the sofa watching football matches, sort of criticizing. <laughs> that's what I. Every time that we criticize anything, I'm like, we should try playing.
2: Marnie Dickens. I I feel like we could be friends with her.
0: Yeah, I knew from the second I saw her shirt. Well, I want to feel like I seemed like the kind of person she would want to be friends with. Because you knew instantly when we saw the shirt via the, the Zoom call. What a cool broad. Okay, email? Email. This first one comes from Helen Jones, who writes, Hello. I was moved to write after listening to your scathing takedown of The Morning Show and how it handled the pandemic. Last year, I started binging the sentimental parallel timelines family drama, This Is Us. I found it entertaining and comforting, if only about 55p watchy-watchy overall. Great use of the slogan, Hells Bells. The fifth season started airing in the midst of the pandemic in October 2020. This is how season five, episode one went. The first mention of quote, unquote, this flu in China comes almost immediately. And then later that day, a character is scrolling on his phone and sees the footage of George Floyd's death. I know some viewers approved of these choices because, quote, unquote, the show is set in the present day, so it should reflect reality. Absolutely the fuck not. This is a show that started airing in January 2017. Had the Trump presidency been mentioned a single time during the first four seasons of the show? (laughs) No. When the Black Lives Matter movement started on the same day as the pandemic, I turned the show off and have never returned to it. The ending is meant to be really good, but I cannot, will not do it. That's all for now. Lots of love. Helen.
2: It's well-intentioned, but so wrong-headed. But I
0: don't think, I'm not even going to give it credit for being well-intentioned. I, it's just these things where you go, how is no one going on a f- successful, big TV show and no one is going? Guys, I, I I'm going to put my hand up on this one. <laughs> I don't think we can do Pandemic and George Floyd on the same day. I don't think we should do it. Well, I'm not ever going to watch that, Helen, but I really, you know, I just enjoy the rage of another woman. I'll tell you that much.
2: This comes from Sarah Woods, who says, following on from your caller last week, who hates teeth brushing. I agree. It is fucking everywhere. I believe it's supposed to show intimacy. Hmm. I also have a husband with a terrible fear of anything teeth related. I could make him pass out if I shared a story of a visit to the dentist. He hates the sound of teeth brushing to the extent that if he hears it, it makes him feel sick and he comes out in a cold sweat.
0: You're sort of like that Jeff. Jeff never goes to see the dentist because
2: you're phobic. I'm scared of the dentist. I'm also scared of sedation
0: Mm -hmm.
3: because it has to go
2: in via a needle. If the dentist would just gas me, I'd... Be at the dentist all the time. I never got to try gas and air when you were in labour because you wouldn't let me. And not only that, you accused me of not holding the thing close enough to your face. Didn't I?
0: Wasn't I while I was in labour? Wasn't I accusing you of pulling it away from Yes,
2: me? <laughs> yes, yes, you were. <laughs> Why would I do that?
0: Right, I kept saying, like, stop pulling it away. I wasn't
2: pulling it away.
0: Mm, interesting. Okay, our final email is from Laurie Wooliver. Dear Sarah and Jeff, As a little kid left in the care of stoner teenage babysitters in the late 70s, I watched two made-for-TV movies that forever put the poison in me. The Savage Bees, in which quote unquote Africanized bees from Brazil terrorize Mardi Gras, and Kingdom of the Spiders, in which giant spiders self organize to terrorize a community, which includes a hot lady scientist and a useless William Shatner.
2: I had a run in with William Shatner on Twitter some years ago, which we don't have time to go into now.
0: Okay, Laurie goes on. Thinly-veiled xenophobia and race-baiting aside, these movies were pure terror for my four-year-old brain, and now, 45 years later, my reaction to seeing insects remains embarrassingly outsized. I'd much rather see a human body turn inside out with a chainsaw than a swarm of any kind of insect. Oh, my God, Laurie. Do you ever go to the London Zoo and go to that insect house? Oh, my God, I just... Oh, I just thought of, like, the giant snail. Ah! It's the snail, the the shell of the snail is the size of a small basketball.
2: I'm not a sports fan, but aren't basketballs just all one size?
0: No, sometimes, like, I used to do this thing. There was this thing when I was a kid called Jump Rope for Heart. It was like, a. it doesn't matter. The point is, you can, I once competed in a competition and I won a small basketball. Okay, so they are out there. <laughs> okay. All right, Laurie continues. Unrelated, Sarah, but I looked you up Thank you, Lori, to see if you are the same age as me. And your Wikipedia page coyly lists you as being born in either 78 or 79. Let's just run the numbers here real fast. Lori is 49. I am 44. Lori thought I was 49. Lori, you've done nothing wrong. But the fact that you thought I was five years older than I am has created a shitstorm of a situation that my husband is going to have to deal with when this podcast recording is finished
2: i, I need to tell you something what you know they can't see you they, they hear you on a podcast Lori
0: she follows me on instagram no no this is about
2: Lori hearing you talk and you probably got Lori this is laurie no, this is about laurie hearing you talk you've Probably got similar points of reference. She feels a connection with you. And she's wondering if you're the same as You see she's,
0: how he's it's... already trying to set himself up for like an acceptable evening. He's not going to fucking get
2: it, Laura. I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what you And imagine like. if she, because
0: anything I put online, not anything, but most stuff, there's a ring light. I look much better in anything I post online than I would actually look if you like see me in daylight. So probably she thinks I'm. F- she would actually think I was 55. No, and I want to die. I hate myself. I really want. I just wish I could fucking fix my whole fucking face.
2: Also, this is massively insulting to Laurie because you're no because in- you're implying that there's something bad about 49. No,
0: that's not at all what I'm impl- what I'm implying. What I'm saying is, if I said to a woman who was 39, "Oh, I thought we might be the same age," she would think to herself, "I don't know, I looked 44. I was hoping I was like passing for 37. That's all it is."
2: Would you? Consider starting an over forty nine seniors movement for Laurie. Oh, my God, Lori et al.
0: I'll do a seniors movement.
2: Five crutches, golden <laughs> girls.
0: I will start a seniors movement as well. <laughs> to join my seniors movement, I want to be the youngest person in the group. So you have to be a minimum of forty four, but then no age limit. My mother is not allowed to join. (laughs) I want to create a safe space for us, the elderly. And we're going to consider ourselves the elderly because we're 44. That's all I know so far.
2: You could all go and do water aerobics.
0: No, shut up. You have no idea. You're not
2: understanding what we're going to be. What's that game Linny White's plays? Mahjong. (laughs) You could all meet and play Mahjong. No, we're not
0: going to play Mahjong. We're going to discuss our bodies.
2: But you're not allowed to discuss decay because that ages you. I have a rule with one of my friends that we don't talk about aging because that just makes you feel old.
0: I think it would be helpful for you guys to understand how much you're falling apart, the two of you guys. Then you'd like (laughs) maybe do well, you wouldn't do something
2: about it. He's not falling apart.
0: No, he's not. But like he could bring his hair in at the sides a little bit. (laughs) Also, like I'd like to see him in a round glasses lens. It's just a thought I've had a couple of times. Oh, my God. Maybe I should be doing. Wait, I'm going to give fashion advice in the senior support group. Um, Laurie finishes. Thank you for keeping me company each week while I wash dishes and otherwise perform acts of domestic drudgery forever on alert for ants and cockroaches, flies and spiders and bees. Oh Thank my. you, Laurie. I love knowing where
2: you are. We'd like to hear from you.
0: Fuck off at firecratchandnormcore.com.
2: This week, Sarah watched Fisk, which you can find on ITVX and Netflix, I watch Looking for Kez on BBC iPlayer and we watch The Supermodels on Apple TV Plus and Marnie Dickens watch P-Valley which is on Stars via Prime Video Platonic which is Apple TV Plus Somebody Somewhere on Sky Now TV and HBO Max and Hacks which you can find on Amazon Prime Video and Wilderness is airing now on Amazon Prime Video Go
0: watch it. Go watch all these things. Guys, the next time we speak to you, it's going to be October. I want you to open your arms to autumn. <gasps> you know what
2: you're supposed to do if you're depressed? No, and I wish you'd told me this some years ago. Just? It could have avoided a lot of sticky patches in our marriage. It's
0: the little things, Jeff. Here's your assignment. This week, <gasps> I want all you little sweeties to go out there. I want you to just keep an eye peeled. Or the tree in your neighborhood that changes color first. I want you to go, hello tree, with your beautiful autumn leaves. (laughs) That's how you are going to head in this delightful season.
2: Can I ask, had had you thought about what that advice was going to be before it started coming out of your mouth?
0: I think a lot about the color of autumn leaves. We all do. I feel so enriched if I see a gold or red or orange leaf. Enriched.
2: I mean, specifically the, the, what you were going to say to the tree.
0: I think I thank trees in my head a lot. I think I, I go, thank you for your service. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm Like the military. I'm
0: so grateful to trees. All the time I think about how grateful I am to the trees. Yeah. They're so lovely. Okay, this week we observe our local trees. We feel gratitude.
2: This is a little glimpse of what it might be like in your seniors movement.
0: Maybe this is what it's like in my youth group.
3: <laughs> Bye.
1: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik: The Wildest Party Never Told